and welcome back for another week of Remarkable Parks, where we talk about a new park every single week-ish. We talk about a park as frequently as I remember to record these episodes. <laughs> How's everyone doing? How was your week? I myself had a pretty good week, pretty standard. A busy work week to be sure, but uh, we had our employee holiday brunch and that was super fun. I won a door prize. I've got uh, now some dishes that I can put my leftovers in. So that was a win for me. (laughs) I hope you all had good fortune as well. I traveled to a few new spots this week in Oklahoma that I had not been to, and one of them was called Craig's Emporium, and it's in the Asian District in Oklahoma City. Very interesting. It is a jack-of-all-trades shop, but there is heavy mystery and Wicca vibes when you go in. Lots of spirituality, charms, and incense, and stones, and gems. There was a station for a palm reader, and I could have spent hours in there. I'm definitely going back, but I just wanted to give that place a shout out because it was super unique, and I think that they are doing a very interesting artistic vibe. It's right near what they call the Paseo District, which is a more artsy district in Oklahoma City. Um, So that was really fun. I also, while in the Asian district, went to the Asian supermarket that they have, and it's apparently one of the largest in the United States. And I also could have spent hours in here, and it has made me want to try to cook some different Asian cuisines, including to try to make my own dumplings. DIY dumplings, which I already know will be a disaster. Um, oh, God, I'm so tired right now. Do you know what I just did? I <laughs> This is so embarrassing. <laughs> I went to just go and feed Nala, my dog, and somehow my tired Olivia brain dumped the dog food into the water bowl instead of into the food bowl. What?! There's only two options. <laughs> so it's, it's okay. I remedied it, and remedied it, and I dumped out the water and held on to the food. And she didn't seem to mind the soaked cuisine, but uh, that's where I'm sitting right now. And now you all know about it. So tell your friends. <laughs> I went hiking today. I went to a new park, one that I have been intending to go to for a very long time now. I went to Roman Nose State Park. I'm sorry for doing an Oklahoma park two weeks in a row, but I'm really trying to get myself back into the rhythm of recording Remarkable Parks podcast episodes. And they're so much more manageable when they're state parks. And if I've been to them recently, they're fresh in my mind to talk about. When I go and I do a national park on Remarkable Parks, there's a lot more content to cover, (laughs) and it's overwhelming. Um, Yes. Wow. You know the other thing, before I start talking about Roman Nose State Park in Watonga, Oklahoma. 
The other thing that's happened this past week is we got our Spotify wrapped. If you all listen to Remarkable Parks on Spotify and your number one podcast that you listened to was Remarkable Parks, you get a gold star and a, a hearty thank you from me. Um, it's super interesting to see what music and podcasts I've listened to over the past year. And I saw a really funny post and that some people are like, wow, Spotify really knows me. But they should because you're choosing the content that you're listening to. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it was nice to get the wrapped and to go down memory lane of all of the content that I've listened to in 2021. And then it got me thinking, and I would love to hear your all thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think about listening to music while hiking? I myself do not. I enjoy being immersed in nature as much as possible. And for me, the auditory factor plays into it. I like to listen to the animals and be engulfed with all five senses. Uh, but I do know some people that like to have their uh, earbuds in and hike while listening to their choice of song, which is fine. I will tell you, though, a big pet peeve of mine is when people blast their music from a speaker and they don't have any earbuds in. So we're all listening to their music. And while I think you should have the right to choose to listen to music while you hike or not. When you play it out loud, you've taken the choice away from me. And now I have to listen to your music. Oh, no one was listening to music on my hike today. But with the Spotify wrapped that just came out, it made me think about that. Uh, so if you listen to music on a speaker where everyone can hear it when you hike, maybe consider not doing that. Or just know that it irritates me personally. And if we ever go hiking together, I will call you out on it. <laughs> okay, Roman Nose State Park, uh, which is also a Roman Nose State Park golf course. They do boast their 18-hole par 70 course that has a plethora of sloping bent grass greens, a Bermuda grass trees, fairways, natural hazards, lake views, canyon walls, and mesas. I'm not a golfer. I don't have the patience or the quietness for it, but it did seem to be quite a beautiful golf course. Uh, I went hiking in December, and I was the only person on the trail I hiked today, Inspiration Point. And I passed two other people, a couple that was fishing at Watonga Lake, but if you wanted to go golfing on a day like today, I passed where they house all the golf carts and there was like 20 of them just waiting to be used. So if you're into golfing, go to Romano State Park in December and you will have that course all to yourself. Today was a bit of an impromptu hike for me. As I said at the beginning of this podcast, I have been wanting to go to Roman Nose State Park for quite some time because many of my friends that I have made here in Oklahoma that have lived here for their life or lived here for a while have recommended it. And I can see why. It's really gorgeous. Uh, I think I'm a tree gal. 
<laughs> one of my big draws to nature is trees. I feel very connected to them. I think they give off a very warm energy. But there were a bunch of common hackberry trees everywhere. And I think I was really drawn to them today because it is winter and a lot of the seasonal trees that lose their leaves in the colder months were bare. But the hackberry trees were just a stunning green and they had their little berries on them and they were really pretty light blue color. And I always thought that hackberry berries were orange, but I guess they can be lots of different colors. And I think that you can eat the berries without them killing you. Don't quote me on that because I'm not 100% sure. Um, <laughs> I swear, if you guys go out and eat hackberry, um, I, I don't think they would taste very good, but I, I don't think it would kill you. It might give you an upset stomach. I'm really curious now. I wish I would have looked this up beforehand. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I wish I had not said anything about consumption of the berries. Uh, but the, the trees, they, they do produce these little tiny berries that are um, really small. I'm trying to think of a comparable, like a pea. They're like a, a green pea-sized berry. And they can be anywhere from like a, a dark black um, to a, a purple to a red. They've got lots of different coloration, which is why it's so hard to identify based on just berries. So it's best to try to identify based on leaf. Oh, gosh. At work, <laughs> sometimes especially in the warmer months, we give the great apes brows. So we'll cut like hackberry. So I should be able to identify it. Um, elm, mulberry, they love mulberry. That's their favorite. But we'll cut different branches and the gorillas especially, they will eat the leaves and strip the bark. So I really should know how to identify more plants than I do. But I think it just gives me so much anxiety because if you're wrong and you eat the wrong berry or leaf, like... That's like one of the worst ways to go, in my opinion. <laughs> You're going to be having a rough night if you don't get to a doctor um, in time. <laughs> well, this is taking a dark turn. Anyway, the point of me bringing this up was that the common hackberry trees were gorgeous at Roman Nose State Park. I also saw a plethora of wildlife while I was there. Uh, I saw a lot of deer, and so did Nala, who is currently whining behind me. If you can hear her, the mic might be picking that up. And I was a little concerned uh, because Nala has a very high prey drive, so I wasn't sure if she was gonna go after the deer, but she didn't, so I was very proud of her. Something that I will say I love about the Oklahoma State Parks system is they are all dog friendly. You do have to keep them on a leash, as we talked about in the last episode. But I don't think that's true of all state parks. And as someone who lives alone and their life partner is their dog, that's much appreciated. <laughs> because then I can share my special hiking experiences with the love of my life. So uh, she had a good time. Our hike that we did today was Inspiration Point. We also broke off and did the Lower Mesa Loop. And we did the canyon loop as well. And it ended up all in all being about a five-mile hike. I will say, um, gorgeous hiking. Definitely intermediate terrain. 
But you can tell a lot of people have gone off and created their own trails and then people have reinforced these trails. So there are some places where it's very easy to veer off the main path and go on a side loop that someone else has created that looks like the main path. Now I am incredibly directionally challenged and I do my best for having a passion for hiking and traveling and being directionally challenged. It really is quite the paradigm. <laughs> Um, but you will still loop back no matter how many wrong turns you take. I use the All Trails app. If they'd like to be a sponsor of this podcast, uh, that'd be great. Thank you. Shout out to All Trails. <laughs> and it's nice because you can start the hike on the phone and it does give off a GPS signal. So you can see where you are in relation to where you should be on the trail. So that did help me today. Uh, but a really beautiful hike. It takes you to the top of... Um, some uh, gypsum rocks and an overlook where you can see Watunga Lake. Uh, it's really peaceful and lots of, of gorgeous trees. And I just sat up there for a little bit because like I said, Nala and I were the only ones on that hiking trail today. There was a bench up there too, which I really like when parks do some kind of marker to <laughs> let you know you did make it to the top. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is like this, but sometimes when I'm hiking and the trail is not incredibly clear, I want confirmation that this is the top because I went to the hike to do the full hike and I need <laughs> like a bench or a sign or a post, something to tell me, yes, this is the very top. You can go no further or else I'll just keep climbing. <laughs> Um, so I appreciated the bench. Shout out to the Romano State Park bench. In addition to hiking, they also do a lot of mountain biking on the Romano State Park trails, as well as lots of water activities. They have two lakes where they do a lot of trout fishing in season. You can rent paddle boats, do canoeing, um, and they have horse stables as well, where you can rent a horse to do horseback riding, as well as hay rides when it is the fall season. It's interesting because when I went, it hasn't rained in a really long time. We, we actually in Oklahoma, central Oklahoma, have been getting some grass fires because of the high winds and lack of rain. So really dry, easily spread fire. But the, the two lakes were very low. Now, Something that I was told is every lake in Oklahoma is man-made. And although they were artificially constructed, I don't know how the water management process works. It would be interesting to look into that to see how much do they still filter the water and add water versus how much do they just leave up to natural rainfall and dams. I don't know the answer to that. If you'd like to stay overnight at Romano State Park, it's kind of interesting because one of the housing options, in addition to the lodge they have, the 22-room lodge and the cabins, 11 cabins, you can also stay in a teepee. And that's something that I think is pretty unique. You don't see that at too many state parks. I'll use teepee as my transition to the name of the state park, Roman Nose. Um... So I looked up some information about Roman Nose, and I've got some differing 
conflicting reports on who this person was, but the general consensus is that he was a highly respected member of the Southern Cheyenne. Some sources say he was a chief. Other sources say he was not a chief. Um, everyone seems to agree that he was recognized for facilitating a peaceful transition from a traditional nomadic way of life of the Cheyenne people into what began to be a forced way of life when white settlers moved in to a non-nomadic lifestyle. Uh, he was very vocal about getting an education and um, training in modern world skills, but he also was fiercely, fierce, fiercely, fiercely protective of Cheyenne ways and actively participated in war um, and fought for traditional Cheyenne beliefs. Um, so he seems like a real swell guy. He was born in the 1850s and he died in 1917 and he died in the canyon on which Roman Nose State Park was established. So for that reason, it's named after Roman Nose. Interestingly, one of the sources I found says that Roman Nose was the name of which European settlers gave him. And I don't know what his Cheyenne name was. I, I could not find that information. Uh, one story that I found on a couple different sites was that he once went hunting with his brother-in-law, uh, bison hunting, and he released his arrow so strongly that he killed the bison with just one arrow shot. So, um, pretty strong guy. Interestingly, both the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes, they both share a reservation despite being two separate Native American tribes because <laughs> that's what happens when you have uneducated European settlers come in and just throw things together. Um, but it did create a very interesting close collaboration between these two tribes and this is this reservation is where Roman Nose State Park is located today. Uh, because of the enroachment by settlers in the mid-1800s and onward during the time of Roman Nose, there were a lot of struggles for both the Cheyenne and Arapaho people, including broken treaties, uh, broken promises, and there's just a lot of, um, a lot of vagueness with the reservation system and not a, a lot of insight from the federal government. Later... There was the Disastrous Dawes Act, which resulted in a bunch of societal and cultural devastation and tragedy for those two Native American tribes. If you are unfamiliar, the Dawes Act, um, sometimes called the General Allotment Act, passed in 1887 under President Grover Cleveland. It gave the federal government permission to break up tribal lands. And the point of the Dawes Act was to assimilate Native Americans into mainstream United States society by pushing them towards agriculture and farming, which essentially forced the division of tribal lands into individual plots. This caused 
the federal government to strip over 90 million acres of tribal land from Native Americans and then sell that land to non-Native U.S. citizens. So, as you can imagine, this did create just a little bit of tension between those two tribes. And over the last 80 years, the Cheyenne and the Arapaho people have worked really hard to recover their heritage and culture that was robbed of them. The Arapaho, they still engage in powwows, and they continue to be involved with the Northern Arapaho Brethren through ceremonies in Wyoming. Um, and the Cheyenne continue to do their traditions, such as the sun dance, and they also take place in many powwows. But I just... I know I'm on a soapbox. I'm really good at that. But one of my goals of doing this podcast is to bring up the uncomfortable conversations and the history uh, of the land because when you go and you visit them, it's important to know what it once was. And if you believe in energies and and things being, um, you know, energies being given off of, of... non-human objects like trees and the land I think you can feel the stories too um you can feel a lot of the sadness that happened there and it's important to give recognition to that this is hippie Olivia talking but (laughs) I do I think it's important to acknowledge to be sure all right and now for the smooth transition (laughs) going to talk a little bit about some road trips you can do in the surrounding Watonga area. I uh, got to tell you, not a whole lot to do. <laughs> uh, if you're driving to Watonga, you and, and you don't take the traditional Route 66, if you don't take the interstate, um, you're going to go past a lot of ranches. You're going to pass a lot of cattle and horses. And it's a gorgeous drive. And you'll pass a lot of Casey's General Store and gas stations and Sonics. <laughs> but um, I didn't really pass uh, a whole lot of museums or local cuisine. Uh, in the area of Blaine County, which is where the park is located, there is the T.B. Ferguson Museum, which I did not go to, but it is in the area. Um, and for food options, you can go to El Rancho Grande, Eagle's Nest Restaurant, which is where all the children from the Watonga school apparently go. So if the youths like it, it must be good. And uh, if you want to eat in the state park, there is a restaurant. And I am not making this up. The restaurant is called Foggy's Bottom. I did not indulge today. (laughs) So... (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure there's history behind that. I did not dig into the namesake of Foggy Bottoms Dinery, but they do have food there, and it's supposedly pretty good. So (laughs) I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, You can think about that content. Thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of Remarkable Parks. If your heart feels so inclined, please give us a follow on social media at Remarkable Parks Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. As always, it is a genuine pleasure to chat with you, and I hope you all have a stellar rest of your week. Bye! <laughs>